to Gotta Be Me podcast. We're so happy to be here again with you this evening. We're your hosts. My name is Sophia Benyon. This is my cousin, Peyton Benyon. Welcome back to our channel, everybody. If you are new here, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. I always feel like I'm about to laugh on that part. <laughs> Why? Because you're always making jokes. <laughs> I don't make jokes. Yes, but I'm always laughing. Keep going. We are so excited today because we have extra and very and extremely special guests with us today. And that is our... <laughs> He's making faces. He's always making faces. That is our paternal grandparents. So our dad's parents. So we're so happy to have them. We're so privileged. They came and stayed at our house for the holidays. And we were like, we got to get you on the show. And I feel like, especially as um, elderly people, <laughs> old people. We're not afraid of that word. <laughs> They have so much wisdom and <clears throat> advice that they can share with us and give with us. And yes, they're young at heart as well, even though they're up in years, they're young at heart. And that just gives them such a path for communicating with younger generations and bridging that generational gap. So we're so excited for what we're going to talk about today. So let's get right into, <clears throat> I guess, a little bit of history we should talk about. Um, I'll ask you first, Grip Senior, where, um, where were you raised? Were you raised in, um, where were you raised? And was it a racially diverse area or was it mainly black people or mainly white people? Okay. I was raised in Chicago on the west side of Chicago. Uh, as you all know, Chicago was kind of set up in quadrants, south right. side, uh, west side, north side. I was on the west side and it was all black. All black were you? All were? black. Yeah. Although... The schools I went to, I grew up going to a Catholic school. So the schools I went to, my grammar school was all black, but my high school was mixed. Okay. As a matter of fact, the high school I graduated from was predominantly all white. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So you, in elementary school, it was like, oh, it was all black. All black. But then was it even like all the teachers were all black? Going to a Catholic school, they were nuns. And all the nuns were white. So all the students were black and all the teachers were white? Yes. That's really that interesting. Weird. Well, there weren't a lot of black nuns <laughs> then. And I don't know how many black <laughs> nuns there are right now either. I have seen Except some. for Whoopi Goldberg. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't count. She wasn't a nun. <laughs> How about you, Grandma? Um, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Okay. The Ritzy area. Not Ritzy. Ritzy area. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was all and, um, We see. We see how it was. If you notice, Grandma's proper. I'm more... Yeah. <laughs> I went to school <laughs> on the south side as well. And um, predominantly black, all black schools. Uh, but our neighborhood did have some diversity, and even our family okay. was somewhat diverse. We had an aunt who was from France. My uncle met her during World War II, brought her back here, and um, there are other others, you know, in that same kind of set setup or situation. So, what year were you all um, born? I was born 1953. Yeah, we were both born there. A little while ago. They're old. What? So, nothing. I was talking to Kim. Okay. Well, watch yourself. <laughs> yes, sir. So, integration happened while you all are in school. Do you remember that? Was that a... I mean, you're in the North, you're in Chicago, so was that a thing there as well? Okay, for me, the real integration was when I was in high school where they started doing the busing. Okay. And the high school that I went to, there was a grammar school there and a girls' Catholic high school there. And they would take some inner city children and bust them out there to start to try some, to get uh -huh. that. I went there because I was playing football, and so oh, one of my okay. coaches went there, and I was following him 
But then I found out as a, as a way to get to school, because it was quite a bit of ways, uh, there was a bus that I could take to go out there. Other okay. than that, I was paying my way to go out there all the time. So that's when my involvement with it at that point. How about you, Gerber? Well, um, I believe the desegregation laws were passed in 63, 62, 63, Something. somewhere around that time. And I finished the eighth grade in 1967. And um, just before our graduation, if you will, time, we, uh, one of the school administrators came in and said, okay, now you can go to any school that you want to in the city. Mm -hmm. And pretty much our entire class was like, what? Mm -hmm. I don't want to go over there. And they don't want me over there. Like you all knew it. Yeah, like, why we are we doing wanna, this? We don't want, they don't want to be at our school. We don't want to be at their school. Mm -hmm. And so um, the high school I went to was... Um, originally in, in an all-white neighborhood, I would say probably 85 to 90 percent white students. So how with... did that happen? Like, why did you go there? <clears throat> well, looking back, what I realized is that they systematically graduated all of those students out because by the time I came, um, there was almost, it was probably more like a 60, 40, 60 white, 60. Really? Yeah, I'm sorry, 40, 40 white. 60, 60 black, black. So they, and so over. my class, there may have, the class of 500, there were probably, I think there was a girl from Hawaii, there was an Asian girl, maybe a white male, and I think that was Are a, you yeah, serious? Yeah, so I think it was a very systematic um, thing that they did That's to work really that out. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that neighborhood <clears throat> has completely changed. Did you ever feel that you can remember as like a child and young person and even young adult, did you feel a lot of, or any, racial tension in your neighborhood or school area? I didn't, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Well, first of all, because my grandmother was white, which I didn't realize she was white until I got up older. I you said, didn't she, even think about no, it? No, she, 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 she was white. She was grandma. Did she say so, she and, wasn't? No, in my mind, she was just grandma. Uh -huh. And th that's all it was. Although sometimes she used to profess to be a light-skinned black person, but she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was purely white. That's oh, funny yeah, that she, she was. said that. Maggie Lee. The and, Irish uh, lady. Yes. Really mixed. And so I was kind of naive to it. And so I was just, I was young and enjoying life mm -hmm. and just having fun. So a lot of those things that most people experienced, that kind of went over my head because mm -hmm. I didn't, it wasn't. You weren't thinking about it? No, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just being happy and having fun. So do you remember your first awakening to it? Yes. I would say I was uh, in grammar school still. I hadn't gotten to high school yet. And where we lived on the west side of Chicago, there was a boundary line going further west, which was around Cicero Avenue, where it was predominantly all white, mm -hmm. pretty much all white. And you really, as black people, weren't to really to go in that area. Okay. Uh, my uncle and auntie who raised me used to send us to the, to the movies a lot. And <clears> I remember experience with me my older brother and my sister, a year younger than me, went to this movie. And as we were leaving the movie, we were walking down the street to come home. And across the street, there was a group of white boys walking. Mm -hmm. And my older brother, Jerome, said to me, he said, and my sister said, when I tell you to run, run. And we was like, what? But we kind of saw them. But So her and I, of course, were scared. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to protect us and take care of us. And so he said, run. And so we just broke off and started running. And I stopped after we got for a long notice. He wasn't running with us. And I turned around and looked, and I saw these white boys all gather around them, and then they hit them a couple of times, and then they let them go. So that was kind of like my, 
real first experience with that something like that. That must have been so But he was trying to protect me, so he pushed us away. Mm -hmm. So that was when you first started, like, kind of thinking about... Realizing that oh, more and more it was there. There's a problem here. Mm -hmm. But actually, growing up, really, I was more afraid in going in other black neighborhoods than I was <laughs> going in the white neighborhood. Really? Yeah, because if you didn't grow up in that neighborhood, you went in another neighborhood, you go going to another gang territory. Mm -hmm. And where I lived, it was gang-infested. So if you went to another gang territory, you're subject to get. So it was a rough area. I mean, I've had experiences with that more than I had with uh, negative issues with white people. That's really interesting. Yeah. How about you, girl? So segregated like that. My parents, I think, worked hard to try to shield us mm -hmm. or protect us from some of that. But I'm, we're old enough. I, I don't know about you, husband, but um, I remember being a little colored girl, a Negro girl. Really? A black girl. That's crazy. And an African-American no, woman. You don't yeah. say Negro, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that was, that was, I remember you that told was me who one we time were. That when you were a little girl, you were down south, you used to see the signs on the water fountain that said colors only. Mm -hmm. I might have made that up in my head. I don't actually. remember actually seeing the signs, but when we visited my great-grandmother, which was in Selma, which was one of the hotbeds of the mm -hmm. civil rights mm -hmm. movement, civil, um, Selma, Alabama, <clears throat> She would coach us before she would take us anywhere. Make sure you don't look any white people in the face. Keep your head down. If they ask you a question, say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. That brings history so much closer. <laughs> yeah, that's like yeah. what I read in a book. Yeah. I read about that one time. It was, it was real. It was real. And she actually had the experience of, um, she went to register to vote, you know, when that, law was passed so she went to register to vote and the local sheriff said her name was Candace he said Candace what you doing down here and she said I came to register to vote he said you get on home mm -hmm. so she left and went home but she can't I heard she went back later she registered to vote yeah she registered to vote so so we were not totally unaware mm -hmm. but yet I think you know within our family you know my father just tried to shield us children and he was very careful about whether or not we would take trips down there or not. And in fact, he didn't go down there until my great-grandmother died, and that was in the 70s. Really? So do you kind of remember your first awakening to it at all? Or what kind of made you be like, oh? Well, I think the high, you know, going into high school, that was, that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, there were riots all across Chicago. Martin Luther King came to Chicago. You know, so you we, we were aware of, yeah, we were aware of lots of, of those things happening, the protest and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I said we had, you know, relatives that were white. We had, um, I, we lived in a, what's called a three-flat apartment, so three floors. Mm -hmm. And on the third floor, there was a white family. It was an really? older, older woman and her two adult children. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were just, they were just there in the neighborhood, you know part of the neighborhood when we moved there. So um, I think I really was more, even more aware, though, you know, going into the, the high school and young adult years mm -hmm. because we lived in a, a farm university town. Okay. So that kind of it's a little more you. stand out there. Do you all have, like, any um, memories of stories your parents told of... Um, I don't know, experiences they had with 
racism or prejudice or anything like that? No, I don't have any direct stories. And of course, I didn't grow up with my, my parents. I right. grew up with my uncle and auntie. Um, but I would say I had an experience of his experiences because when he would take us out to go to the drive-in theater, which mm -hmm. again was in Cicero, um, he would instruct us that we weren't to get out the car and go to the bathroom unless we went two together. Mm -hmm. And um, we would always make our own popcorn so we wouldn't have to buy anything at the concession stand. And the one thing that I didn't realize right away is my uncle would always give us something hard in a coat and say, take this and put it in the car. And at first, you know, he didn't it, think it, anything of think it. Think another, just okay, he's telling us to take him, so we take and put it in the car. <laughs> then I realized at one point it was a lead pipe wrapped up in newspaper, you then he serious? put it in his coat. Then later on, it was a machete they would give us. Just and in case. And just in case. Have... At that time, when it was going on, I was just, he said, take and put it in the car. I put it in the car and got in the car, and I enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. As I got up older, I realized well, why he, he was, was doing it. He was trying to watch out for everybody. Yeah. How about you, Grandma? My mother um, and her family came up from Selma when she was a little girl. They went to bed at night. I, I asked, you know, kind of like, how did you end up coming to Chicago? And I know there was the great migration. A lot of black people moved to right. the northern states in hopes of better employment, better living conditions. And so anyway, she said they woke them up at night, put them in the car, she and her brother, and, you know, gave them the, you know, mm -hmm. no noise, be quiet. And they drove out of town in the dark, which was like, why would they do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and they just they drove and drove and drove and mm -hmm. till they you know got to a safe area. And recently, I asked my eldest brother, "So, is that right?" And he mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, that's right." I said, "Well, what you know, like what was the deal?" He said, "Oh, um, a white man had lent him money to buy his car. Let let my grandfather uh huh money to buy his car. So he didn't want him to know he was leaving. So he just." Took off in the dark. <laughs> and then my, my brother my brother said, and then later, the man came and found him and got his, took the car. Are you he took serious? The car. And then on my father's side, um, his oldest brother, he had a brother that was 20 years older than he was. So he came to Chicago first. Okay. And I thought, again, it was for opportunities. But rather, it was because he got into a fight and he hit a white man. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. He fled. And they said, the best place for this <clears throat> man is up north. Y'all better get him out of here right now. That's crazy. And so he went to Chicago. So that's kind of how the family ended, ended up, up in Chicago. In the Chicago yes, ma'am. Two Both good sides. stories <laughs> right there. <laughs> One or the other. So when you raised the your three sons, our fathers, do you feel like you had pretty much, you feel like, did you feel like at the time, I should say, that the world had kind of gotten better than how it was for you all growing up as far as racial tensions? Did you feel like they were less? There more opportunities. I mean, think, we, had, we met in college. Mm -hmm. And so after we got married, we stayed in the college town. Mm -hmm. And our boys went to predominantly all white school because it wasn't that many blacks that actually lived in DeKalb, Illinois. But I felt there was opportunities. Again, I, I, at that time, I didn't feel like I was being held back mm -hmm. from anything. I thought that opportunities were there if I worked and earned my way to get those opportunities. But I don't mm -hmm. think anybody, I didn't feel like anybody was standing in my way at the time. So mm -hmm. therefore, I didn't feel anybody was standing in their way. And matter of fact, uh, some of the friends that our boys met, their parents became kind of like our friends. Mm -hmm. And I felt we had a good 
relationship with them. Even one of them was the one that helped us get our first home. Mm -hmm. uh, and he supported us and helped us to get that first home. So I didn't feel like that they were being held back. I, I felt like they had much more opportunity than we did. How about the area you raised them? Do you feel like it was, I mean, I'm sure you purposely tried to pick an area that was better than... Well, growing up in Chicago and growing up in a gang-infested area, one of the things I told my wife is I do not want to move back to Chicago and take my sons back there. Uh -huh. I don't want them to have to experience gang life or mm -hmm. be, if you will, recruited to get in a gang. So right. growing up as little boys, they were enjoying themselves. I remember the first day your father came home and said to me, Dad, I want to play soccer. I was shocked. Because mm -hmm. I grew up football, basketball, right. you know, black people, this is what we play. What are you talking about, Sean? <laughs> what is this? Uh -huh. uh, but it turned from that to we got heavily involved with it, and I, you know, fell in you love with soccer coach, myself. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I was a coach, a referee. I got, that is funny. I was all involved in it. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Soccer. And I, and I said soccer, but yeah, it, it was good. So they met, I think, the community, I think, I felt accepted us. Mm -hmm. um, not that I was looking at it, would they accept us, but I felt they accepted us and helped us with the boys, and I thought we had good camaraderie. The only one negative experience I feel that, that, that we had was when your father was in first grade or whatever at the Catholic school. Oh, kindergarten. Kindergarten in the Catholic school, and at the end of the year, we went to go get the school review, and this teacher was saying, well, you know, he's, he kind of does okay, but he doesn't read so good, and we were shocked. Mm -hmm. We're like, and I think your grandma was like, what? What are you talking about? He can read? I don't No, he can't. And he was there. We said, come here. And we had him sit down and read in front of him. Actually, she had him. Oh, she come had him. Read. Yeah. yeah. She said she, and she was she shocked. She to show us. She was shocked that he could read. Mm -hmm. And I think she just felt like, you know, this little black boy that can't. Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of thought that later, but I like You got that feeling from her that she was yeah, like. Yeah, I said, like, wait a minute, my son can read. What are you talking about? My son's smart. <laughs> my son is smart. <laughs> my boy. Definitely read. Mm -hmm. Grandpa, you were a part of a fraternity. Can you say on camera what is, is it a secret? What fraternity you were a part yes, of? Yes, I belong to Cap Alpha Psi. I Do you Cap feel Alpha like Psi that fraternity. helped keep you out of trouble in your college years? <laughs> or got you into trouble? Or did it affect you? It affected me, all right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it did. It did all of that. It did both. Yeah, there got were some me in trouble, kept me out, out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, but I, I got but you it. Had football I got it. Too. Yeah, football really is what probably helped protect me from being in more trouble. Really? I was in trouble, but yeah, football kind of helped some too. Hey, a lot. Hey, you got yourself together though. It took a while. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have y'all been married? Uh, 50, 50 years. That deserves a round that of applause for everyone everywhere. That is grand. That's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. You spent more than double your lives together. Than a part. What would you tell? I've I've been wanting to ask y'all this question now. What would you tell our viewers? Like, what's your secret? How did you manage it? How, like, fifty years? That's like three of my lifetimes. Oh no, like <laughs> two of my lifetimes. No, How'd you do it? You know, like, what's your what? Do you, what would you say is your, yeah, your secret? First of all, there was a lot of hard times, and there was a lot of struggles. Um, because we got married young. Um, How old were you when you got married? 19. That's and, good. and technically we weren't ready to be married, especially me. I really wasn't ready to be married. Um, but I've always been a person that wants to complete what they've done. Mm -hmm. And so um, I didn't want to give up. Mm -hmm. There were times that I felt like giving up, but then I realized 
something hit me and said, you know, I, I can't live without her. I have to have her mm -hmm. in my life. Even if I still cause her pain and headache and have these struggles, I still need to have her around me some way, somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to always say to her, sometimes we'd be in a room together and she, you know, she wanted to talk and I, I'm one a big talker. I said, I don't need you to talk to me. I just need you to be in a room. Your presence is enough to, to satisfy me. So but funny. it was a determination to say, we're just not going to give up and we're not going to quit. And then, and this is before salvation. Mm -hmm. Then after salvation, then it got a lot, a lot better, a lot, a lot easier. So you feel like once you like really committed your life to God and became a Christian, it made a big oh, difference. Oh yeah, it, it was it was a leap, major leap. Really? Yeah, better understanding, better realization. I truly understood. I mean, I cared about your grandmother. I loved her in a, in some kind of way. I can't explain how. But after salvation, I understood how. What and love really, yeah. what it meant and everything. Yeah, before I did, more, it was more of a love-like. But afterwards, it became really love. Yeah. Mm. What would you say, Grandma? Mm. 50 years, huh? 50 years. It does take work. It's not, it's not um, just a walk in the park, you know, a little picnic. It's... It's not roses and flowers and chocolate. It's not all of that. It At least takes, not all the time, right? That's right, not all the time, some of the time. You know, but it takes work. It takes commitment. It takes um, having a willingness to not just bail out just because things get a little bit hard. And I think that's one of the main differences that we see today is that young people just say, okay, it's not working. I don't like it. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, I am a person who... I can work on things like projects. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can work over projects over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Keep coming and, back and to see, it. Yeah, and just and see it to the end. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes that. I, I'm not saying marriage is a project, but <laughs> kind of is, though, right? Kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah, yeah. It is. But I mean, there there are constant <laughs> steps that you have to take mm -hmm. to move up and move through the battles, the trials, the children, the you know, the go, going from like you said, we were 19. You know, from that into middle age to mm -hmm. you know, older age, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, it does take a lot of work. It takes being able to communicate. You know, the other thing, too, to realize is that um, even though we both grew up in Chicago, we actually grew up in different cultures in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I was on the west side, which was a different culture than what your grandmother grew up on the south side. Mm -hmm. I grew up really as a, an adopted type of child with my uncle and auntie, mm -hmm. so I didn't have mom and daddy. Your grandmother had that, so when we met, she had that stability coming mm -hmm. to support her, whereas mine wasn't as stable. Mm -hmm. Although my uncle and auntie tried to make it stable for me, but they weren't mom and daddy, and right. I knew that. So it just there. wasn't there. Right. Uh, and one of the things I've realized is I've gotten older, because I've gotten to know my father, my natural father, and I've realized that some of the things that I do that is about me is natural to me because it's in him. You got that connection. After here. talking to him and hearing some of the things he's done and how he is and his characters, I realized, oh, that's why I'm like that. Or that's why I do that because it's natural in me to be like that like he is. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are some things that I do that I learned from being with my uncle and auntie. Right. That they train me up. And I mean, like education. Mm -hmm. That was major with them. It was important to my father. But it was major with them, and so my uncle made sure we had that base of education. So mm -hmm. that was part of what I grew up with, which was a little bit different than what your grandmother. And, and my family uh, was big partiers. Mm -hmm. To this day, they're big partiers. So right. party was very important in our family, mm -hmm. whereas grandma's family was more churchgoers. Yeah. And so, you know, you brought these two together. It was like, 
We had family gatherings, but not. It wasn't a party like no, that. Party. Yeah. They, yeah. they party. Y'all probably sang. Like you all sang. That's what y'all did, huh? We sang. Ours we laughed. We talked. You know. Pulled out the music and, and dance. But we had drink and everything else. <laughs> we had in in our home. Like my grandparents lived with us mm -hmm. until they died. Both sets of grandparents. My. Um, dad was the youngest one in his family. I said earlier he had a brother 20 years older. Mm -hmm. Well, his their father died when my father was a little boy. Okay. And so he and his brothers got together and said, oh, please, oh, please, Mom, don't ever get married again. Don't bring <laughs> another man to our house. We'll take care of you forever. So he was the last one at home. Mm -hmm. And so when he asked my mother to marry him, he said, okay, my mother has to have a place to live. And that was very common back during those days. So... My mother said yes. She lived with us until she died. Mm -hmm. After she died, her parents moved in and lived with us until each of them died. So it was just more low key at your house in general. Yeah, but I mean, did you know, in terms to teach of you how to dance? The, no, I know how to dance. You know how to dance? I know how to dance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now that, you know, so we had the stability. Mm -hmm. You know, we we knew about you know or understood the family unit mm -hmm. and how it should work together and that kind of thing. So you know, like. Grandpa said we came in from two different perspectives. And when you got married, you had to make that work. Right? Yeah, and that's and that's hard. That is hard. That takes time. It's it's important to, you know, kind of make sure you're not getting yourself into a, a bed that you don't want to sleep in. Yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Real, right? Yeah. I feel like more than anything, maybe I shouldn't say more than anything, but one of the, I feel like one of the biggest things that the that the youth need today young people, people our age, people of our generation, is a connection to older people, is a connection to their history, who they are, where they come from. And I feel like so many problems of our generation could be fixed simply by a good connection to the people from your generation. Mm -hmm. And um, if Peyton has any more questions, I hope she mentions them. But my last question for tonight is how how would you advise us to go forward? <laughs> what is your, what would you say is the best way? What can we do? What can you do to bridge that gap? And what is your advice? If you could give, well, you know, one short piece of advice to the youth of today, what would you say? I feel like too many young people today don't want to listen. They Sorry. already feel like they know more than you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I give the example of Leo at the mission. You know, well, I'll be talking to him and trying to tell him something. This is an 11-year-old boy, but he'll tell me that I'm wrong. And I said, Leo, I've been living for 70 years. How are you going to tell me that I'm wrong? I know I'm more, more I for, I've forgotten more than you know. <laughs> and so, it, it, but he'll still try to tell me. So I think one of the problems is society has allowed our youth to feel like they know more than those over them or older Ooh. them know. We live in the it, age of Google, so we right. think we know because we can just Google. We have access. But it, it, it actually started even before you all. It even started with your your parents' generation, mm -hmm. where sure they were starting to come in and where they want, and it just transcended into you all, and in a sense, gotten worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember uh, in my my professional career, we we would recruit and interview some young college grads, who we couldn't get them the right job because they wanted to come in and have my job right away without having gone through the experience and mm -hmm. the training to get there. So in my mind, as you were asking the question, I was thinking, what, what would I say? I would say the one thing that your generation needs to learn to do is to listen. Listen with their ears and not with their mouth. Mm -hmm. So then they can really absorb what those that are older than them have to teach. I even say, you know, an old wino can teach you something. 
because right. they've lived that long. Because There's it, some life experience they can share with you that, you that you can get educated from mm -hmm. one way or another. Uh, but I think that the big part, the big problem right now is there's a lack of willingness to listen. Everybody has an opinion. Want to say something real quick, mm -hmm. and you can't listen while you're talking. We're also living in the age of social media where everybody has their own platform, right? And too many nosy people. <laughs> everybody wants to see what everybody else well, is doing. Yeah. And for it's what? True. For what? I mean, what, what is it going to gain you? Oh, yeah, but so anyway. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Thelma? Well, I think along with um, listening, um, it's important to um, have some line of discipline and um, a level of respect for, for people, a regard for, for people and their experience in life and mm -hmm. uh, what they can bring to the table and not just um, think that they can just say, oh, well, you're just old and you don't know anything. Well, I may not know everything that's going on today, mm -hmm. but I've got more in this computer mm -hmm. than you have mm -hmm. and maybe will ever have. And, and so, honestly, Solomon, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. That's it didn't right. change that much. <laughs> they, they didn't. What worked for you all in some ways is, is it still, still works. I mean, it's, it's, there's changes, right? Of and course. we have to acknowledge that. But You know, right. I, I kind of smile because my auntie, when we were growing up, we would do things wrong. She said, y'all don't, you know what, we've already did that, what you're doing. That's so, right. You know, that ain't new. We tried that mm -hmm. already. We, you may be trying it. a different way, but it's the exact same thing. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. So how are we going to, how are we going to bring that together? Like, how are we going to? You know, it's a challenge. Right. And the reason why it's just a challenge is because there has to be a willingness mm -hmm. to bring it together. Has to be a willingness on both sides. Right. Has to be a willingness on the older generation to not be frustrated with the younger generation, mm -hmm. to bring them in and talk to them. Mm -hmm. But there has to be a willingness of the younger generation to be to patient listen, like and said, listen right. and say, okay, let me get a hold of what you're trying to show me. I'll get, you know, you may give me this much stuff, but there's something in there I can take out of it that's going to help me. Mm -hmm. So if there's not a willingness, it's, it, it is a struggle and it'll continue to be a struggle if there's not a willingness. Whose job do you think it is to reach out first? I think it's a combination of both. I think the youth need to reach out and say, help me, because mm -hmm. I need help. But then our generation needs to say, I'm going to help you because mm -hmm. you need help. You know, I'm going to share with you what I can and tell you what I know so that you can get whatever I have in me and take, again, take that mm -hmm. to use for yourself. But the younger generation also got to reach, help me, help me, help me. So it's got to be both sides. It's like common sense. It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy, so it's pretty reciprocal. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not denying the intellect of the young people. Mm -hmm. right. You know, I realize this, you all generation is some very intelligent people. Mm -hmm. uh, you all have a lot of skills that we don't have. What we have is knowledge and experience right. that right. you don't have. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get that until you get to our age or... It takes time, right? That's it right. takes time. Or we, we help you get that experience get through what we have by giving it to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, if there's not a willingness, it well, don't happen. And I think part of that connection is your parents, that the generation between us, okay? That there has to be a connection and a regard and respect among to your parents and they that helps connect and, you and that's your, good right and so if our children don't have any regard for us mm -hmm. you all will have no reason to have any exactly. regard for us either exactly. so it has to be a you know a continuum it has to flow like that mm -hmm. you know and the sad thing is society has gone the way of so many single parents yes yes and it's hard to be two parents a mother and a father mm -hmm. uh with with my, what i'm trying to say is 
between a mother and a father, separate individuals to raise children, that's hard in itself. Mm -hmm. To be that one person that has to be the mother and father by themselves, mm -hmm. it's extremely difficult. So therefore, those youth aren't taught some of the respect, mm -hmm. some of the things they need to learn, because they're just out here like, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. If the older people are willing, and the younger people will be willing, and you think like, we can make this work. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. because, because you would learn from each other. Right. See, in the willingness to teach, mm -hmm. part of teaching is learning. Right. You all teach in, in school. Mm -hmm. And you know when you're teaching your students, but at the same time, you're learning some things from your students. They're so teaching it's, re us. it's reciprocal. Mm -hmm. So that's the same thing in, mm -hmm. in this situation. Right. The older are willing to teach the young at the same time, they're going to learn from you. It's like right. I was giving you an example of Leo. Mm -hmm. But there are little things I've learned from Leo, mm -hmm. just in my listening and, 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 and uh, interacting with him. Right. Well, it's been so amazing to have you on the show tonight. Peyton, do you have any other questions that you wanted to ask before we wrap no, it up? That was good. Please give our grandparents some love in the comments. Please. <laughs> I just want to, I'm just going to tell you right now, I didn't mention this at the beginning, even though I wanted to. They have been living in Mexico um, this year. It will be 10 years. In the summer, they work at a mission home. They run a mission home. And even though they're old, like we already said, they're kind of old, young at heart. I'll give you that. You're mm. not kind of old at 70. You're officially old. No, I'm old at 80. Yeah, I think 80. you keep pushing it. <laughs> I did. When you get to 80, you're going to say that. Oh, no, by, 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 no, I did. I'll accept it. And then I'll accept it. They've been giving their time and their energy um, to try to help other young people and teenagers they've been doing their best to bridge the gap i'm telling you what they've been willing and um i just want to say how much we appreciate older people like them that reach out that are willing that are like hey we're here you just asked for help you know what i'm saying so we love them so much we're so glad to have them with us and um hope you all enjoy this podcast with them it's more valuable than you'll ever know can i say one thing please as older adults it is not your time to fold your hands and sit down and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. You have to pour yourself out and use all of your strength till the end, mm -hmm. or you'll just die. You'll just wither up and die. And I'm not ready to do that. I'm not willing moving. to do that. I feel like there's more for me to do. That's right. So I feel like if I'm not occupied and busy doing something, I'll just roll up and die. That's right. So, yes. Yeah, keep on. Work until he comes, as the song says, right? Right, that's right. Well, it's been beautiful to have you all. You all know what time it is. Wait, oh. Grandpa Senior, do you want to say it with us? I, I, I want to try. I want to try. I do. I want to try. Wait a minute. How I got to do this now? I got to pee? Oh, don't, don't. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Ready? All right. Peace, Peace, love, love and, and hair grease. grease. <laughs>